Again, I will. Oh, I live a lot. Let me back off just a little bit there. I am thrilled to be here. I really am. Been looking forward to it. Uh, but in fact, Brother David kind of caught me by surprise when he called me and asked me to come, but I'm so glad that he did. Love y'all's building. Beautiful. Uh, but I've heard a lot of good things about this congregation for many, many years. And again, you should be honored for that. Many people sound your name. And again, it's always in a good setting. And that's always great. Again, I've been down at Bridget for 12 years. Uh, probably one reason they have put up with me, I'm a short-winded preacher. I know that's rare. I know that's very rare. But I love those people very dearly. Uh, when Brother David called me, he told me that your topic was going to be focusing on the family. He said, but you just preach on anything. I was like, well, that's not good. This is to preach on anything because a preacher with a preacher, that's the hardest thing for us is to figure out what to speak on every Sunday. That is, sometimes it seems impossible. So I was going to go in the back door. I was going to ask Christy's mother, Carolyn, to get with Christy and let me know exactly what are y'all going to be studying. So I found out the topics. And I texted Brother David back. I said, since you're going to be focusing on the family, what I wanted to speak on tonight was to focus on the family of God. If there's anything that we need to do, is to focus on the fellowship that we have. And it's unfortunate, we take so much time in working with our own physical families that we can forget about, well, the family of God. Which should be so special and so meaningful to us. You know, one thing that I was taught while I was at the Memphis School of Preaching was that if you put a sermon together and it doesn't mean anything to you, don't even attempt to preach it because it's not going to mean anything to the hearers. Well, tonight my subject means a lot to me. And I hope it does to you too. When we think about what your kids are studying, Adam and Eve, Ruth, Boaz, Zechariah and Elizabeth, Mary, Joseph, Aquila and Priscilla. When we think about their relationship, we think about their connection, we see God working through providence to bring about the greatest family in earth and on heaven. So let's work together with that idea. We go and we find in the beginning Adam and Eve. We see again that when they fell away, unfortunately, that God again had this plan in place. And we're going to get to Ephesians 1 just in a little while. If you want to be turning there. But he made a decree unto Satan that day. That he promised Satan that one day that the woman would bring forth a seed. And her seed would crush Satan's head. And he would crush. All he would be, would be able to do affect the seed's heel. That was it. But that first prophecy concerning Jesus Christ put us on a heading for the, for the beginning of God's great family. Now when we think about Adam and Eve and their relationship, we think about that first promise that, that He made unto her when Cain was born. I wonder if she thought that that was the fulfillment of that. Or we see again the murder that took place with Abel. And I wonder if she thought, well now the promise is not going to, to come to be fulfilled. But we know again that, that Adam knew Eve and brought forth Seth. But again Eve, she was the mother of all living. Started everything towards 
creation of this great family of God. We begin to spread through time. Abraham and Sarah, their relationship. We see again Isaac and Rebekah. We see Jacob and Leah. All of us pointing us towards one direction. This family of God. And then we come to the great account of Ruth and Boaz. I've been preaching through the Bible this year. And when we came to the book of Ruth, I, I just titled that sermon, God's in the Background. We think about God's providence and Ruth, the part she plays. We see the sad story as it began as Limelech and Naomi and Mahlon and Chilion. And we see that development there in the book of Ruth. We see again that death that took place at the opening and how Naomi, her heart was just crushed. We can imagine that. We can understand that. But she was going to go back to Bethlehem. And then she took, her two daughter-in-laws there followed her, Orpha and Ruth. Remember, they began the journey back and again, Naomi was so heartbroken. She looked at what she had left and thought God had given up on her. But God was in the background the whole time. But then guys, they began that journey how as they were about to leave the land that Orpha finally turned back and stayed with her people. But not Ruth. Ruth gives us that great statement of commitment. Whether thou goest, I will go. Where thou lodgest, I will lodge. My, thy God will, will be my God. Thy people, my people. Where you die is where I'm going to die and be buried. We see that great commitment that she made. Again, that, but Naomi was missing something there still. You see, God was in the background, but Ruth was that great blessing that she was overlooking. We see how that, again, account begins to play out as, as they get to Bethlehem. And just, I love that phrase in chapter 2, just by chance, Ruth landed on the field of Boaz. But again, Ruth was a hard worker and God was overseeing everything and Boaz being a great man. That relationship began and we find again that Ruth brought forth a son. Obed. Obed beget Jesse. Jesse beget David. Again, getting us on the lines to the creation of the greatest family in earth and on heaven. Then we come again to the New Testament. Let's go ahead and jump ahead. You know, the story of Zechariah and Elizabeth is really, again, it's special. I love that in Luke chapter 1. What is it? I put it in my notes. Verse 6 where it tells us, and they were both righteous before God. Let's don't overlook that. You know, we think about the principles of the Old Testament and those Jews living under that old system. And we know, again, the importance of the sacrifices. I mean, it, their sacrifices were there in place of Jesus Christ just for a time. But those people could live righteously before God. Not perfectly, but they could live righteously under the Old Testament. And there's a perfect example of that couple. But God was going to use them, again, in preparing the way for Jesus Christ and bringing forth John. John was going to get the people's hearts ready to receive Jesus when He came. Then we go to Matthew 1, we find Mary and Joseph. Matthew 1, 18, now the birth of Jesus Christ was on this wise, when Mary, again, before she, while she was being espoused to Joseph, before they knew one another in a sexual meaning or sexual way, she was found a child of the Holy Ghost. 
And then we're told again, Joseph, being a just man and not willing to make her a public example, was going to put her away privately. But while he thought about these things, we're told that an angel came unto him and said unto him, Joseph, thou son of David, fear not to take unto thee Mary thy wife, for that which is conceived or that which is in her womb is of the Holy Ghost. And she's going to bring forth a son. And you call his name Jesus because he's going to be the Savior of his people. What a great passage of Scripture for us. And I wish we really knew more about Mary and Joseph, don't you? We don't know a lot of detail. But again, God was using that young virgin, using Joseph again to bring about the greatest family on earth and in heaven. We'll get back to Aquila and Priscilla here later on. But what's really amazing about this development of this family, that you and I know as the church, brings us to our first point, is that God chose to have a family. You know, something that probably early on after I started studying God's Word and preparing myself to be a minister, these questions sometimes just popped in my mind. And one that really popped at the beginning was, why did God create us to start with? I wonder how many people have really talked about, asked themselves that. Because we think about the hardships in life, and we think again about the downfall of man and what sin has done to mankind, and we're like, why did God even create us? I believe it goes back to 1 John 4 8, God's love. That God wanted to show someone His great love. That has to be the reason. That He created us to show us His love. He created us with our free will though. And we'll get to that point in just a moment. But that's exactly what the Bible really shows us. Is that He created us to show us love. Alright, I mentioned Ephesians 1. Let's go to Ephesians 1, verse 3, beginning. Notice what Paul recorded for us there. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who hath blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ, according as He hath chosen us in Him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before Him in love having predestinated us into the adoption of children by Jesus Christ to Himself according to the good pleasure of His will. We'll come back to that verse in just a moment. To the praise of the glory of His grace wherein He hath made us accepted and beloved, in whom we have redemption through His blood, forgiveness of sins according to the riches of His grace, wherein He hath abounded towards us in all wisdom and prudence, having made known unto us the mystery of His will according to His good pleasure, which he hath purposed in himself. Verse 10, that in the dispensation of the fullness of time, I underline this right here, he might gather together in one all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and which are on earth, even in him. Now when we think about this idea of God creating us, we know again that God is a social being, there's no doubt about that. But we have to remember, God didn't create us for His entertainment. God didn't create us because He needed us. He didn't. 
He allows us to work with Him today. But He created us because He wanted to manifest His love towards us. But that's what decision that He made. He chose to have a family. And He again wants us to be a part of that family. And we are a family. But before He created us, He saw again that there would be people who would want to come and be His children. That's amazing if you really begin to think about it. But let's consider some more passages. When you think about this idea of a family, again, we go to 1 Timothy 3.15. That has to be a key verse when we think about God's family. Again, Paul wrote, But if I tarry long, that you, thou mayest know how thou oughtest to behave thyself in the house of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and, pillar and ground of the truth. Oikos. Household. We're a family. That's how God, again, sees us. Now we'll mention this verse later on as we get into our lesson, as we begin to develop it more. But he says, we are his family. One more passage in the book of Ephesians. Ephesians 3, beginning at verse 8. He said, Paul wrote, Unto me, who am less than the least of all the saints, is this grace given that I should preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ, and to make all men see what is the fellowship of the mystery, which is from the beginning of the world had been hid in God who created all things by Jesus Christ, to the intent that now unto the principalities and powers in heavenly places might be known by the church the manifold wisdom of God, according to the eternal purpose which He purposed in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence by the faith of Him. Wherefore I desire that ye faint not at my tribulations for you, which is your glory, but for this cause I bow my knees unto the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, of whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named. And point number one, God chose to have a family. Well, point number two has to be this then is that God allows us to choose to be a part of that family. You know, we talked about Ruth and Boaz a while ago. Again, it's a book that does not mention God by name, or God doesn't speak anywhere in that book. But He's there again in the background. He's in every verse, He's there. But we have to key on that idea of providence. No, Brother Gus Nichols, or it's told about Brother Gus Nichols that he didn't pronounce it as providence, but he pronounced it as providence. Because that's the very key thing. Because when we think again about God having this plan to, to have a family, He provided everything. He put everything in place so this would take place. God's providence is a wonderful thing. It's something that we believe in. It's something that we probably don't understand <laughs> completely. Because we look at our lives, and I look at my own life. Since I'm new to you, I can kind of let you know a little bit about myself as we go through this lesson. Uh, see, I believe fully that God worked providentially in my life for me to be able to be here with you tonight. There's no doubt about it. Now, I can't... You know, give you a, a scripture that says this is it, but I know it happened that way. 
I was uh, raised in a uh, denominational family. Uh, grandfather was a Baptist preacher. I got uh, two uncles, Baptist preachers. Got a first cousin, Baptist preacher. But I wasn't faithful to anything. And then I met my wife. You know, she might be watching, and she hates it when I say it this way. Uh, I, you can't believe how shy that I was. I mean, shy. But I tell everybody when they say about, ask about, well, how did y'all two meet? I said, well, she picked me up one night on the street corner. <laughs> That's basically how it happened. Pretty close. Because, you know, you just like I was, some of you around my age, you know, what we used to do on Friday and Saturday night, sit in the middle of town and ride up and down the streets. Sit on our side of the road, on the curves with our friends. And me and her, we'd wave at each other and smile, but I was too shy to say anything. But she stopped one night, and that was the beginning. And know, we dated for two years, uh, fell in love, but she was a faithful member of the body of Christ. And I think about now how lucky I really was. Because she was faithful. Her mother was faithful. Her mother's parents were faithful. And because of their faithfulness is why I'm with you tonight. Being able to, to be influenced by that. But having that introduction to the Lord's church was something that I needed. And to find out again about God's willingness to accept us. You know, I mentioned Ephesians 1 verse 5. Notice that again. It said, Having predestinated us unto the adoption of children by Jesus Christ to Himself, according to the good pleasure of His will. Adoption. Now again, we have that picture where God is the one saying, I choose you. But do you choose me? We have to understand this uh, adoption. We'll refer to it tonight as the adoption process. We know it better by God's plan of salvation. But we understand again, it's there. And God foresaw the time when, when people, again, that when they would begin to learn about Him, that they would desire to be a part of His family. I love John 1, beginning at verse 12. Again, John recorded for us, But as many as received Him, speaking of Christ, to them gave He power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on His name, which were born not of blood, nor the will of the flesh, nor the will of man, but of God. I love that passage. I want you to listen for a moment what Brother Guy in Woods wrote concerning that. Just, just listen. He said the word born here suggests the idea of begotten. And it was the Spirit's intent here to emphasize the fact that the new birth was not after the pattern of the fleshly birth, nor did it originate in the will of man but of God. And that God alone can impart spiritual life because only deity possesses it in its original state. Again, gives us this idea that again God chose to have a family but he again chose the way that people would be able to have access to that. That they could say that they were the children of God. That simple plan of salvation. And it is simple. Again, 
I was telling Mike here, uh, my conversion, uh, something I wish happened more often, because I had the influence of my wife, and I'm thankful for that, but I had a lot of people around me dying. And death will get you thinking. Believe me, it will. And I mean, I, I would think about dying and I would get chill bumps just all over my body. And so she encouraged me. I, for some reason, I was, just, I was not going to go to my grandfather or to my uncles or to my cousin to talk to them about, uh, about what they believed. But she encouraged me to begin going to church with her there at Fed. So we'd go to a, to a service or two, and everybody was loving, welcomed me in. Uh, but I could tell, and we'll use this word, I was being convicted. I really was. I was learning more. And so I went to the preacher's office one day, knocked on his door, and you know, he, I'd already met him once or twice. I told him, I said, look, I want to have a Bible study. Don't you wish that would happen more, that they would come to you wanting a Bible study? And we began to study. Uh, we used, again, you've got some of the tracks out in the foyers that uh, Searching for Truth or Fishers of Men study. And after a few lessons, uh, again, I saw the need to obey the gospel. But then I also saw how bad my family was, and I just broke down in tears. I just shattered my heart. Because I knew that when I did that, that was going to be a wedge. You know, Paul tells us, explains to us that Jesus Christ, again, broke down that wall, that, that wall of partition, speaking of the Old Testament, that separated the Jew and Gentile, and, and again, was that bondage upon of us. Friends, sometimes the gospel can throw up a wall, too. Christ said, you know, uh, I'm not bringing just peace. He said, I'm also bringing a sword. And that sword sometimes makes that cut where you have to make a decision of whether you're going to stay with your physical family and what they believe or you're going to allow yourself to learn the truth, know the truth, obey the truth no matter what. I had to make that decision. You know, I was close to my physical family. I'm not that close anymore. I still love them. But every time we have a, a family get-together or, or, or go to a funeral or something, it just seems like there's that wall there now. It, that closeness is just not there. They, I, I, sometimes I guess I feel like, well, I'm the black sheep of the family now. That, that's sad. But it's true and it happens. But isn't the gospel so simple? We've got to hear it. Romans 10, 17, faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. We understand the process. I, I can't be saved unless I know who to believe in. I, I can't call upon his name. I can't believe in him unless I hear about him. Romans 10, what, verses 13 through 15 or so? And so I learned the truth. In its purity, as, Paul, as Peter tells us in 1 Peter chapter 2, what is around verse 22, 23, not, in, not corrupted seed, but that incorrupt, incorruptible seed. I, I heard that the first time. I believed it. That next step, you've got to believe it. 
does no good to you if you don't believe it. Christ said in John 8, what is it, around verse 24? Unless you believe that I am He, you will die in your sins. I understand it's with the heart that man believeth unto the salvation. Romans 10, 9 and 10. I believed it and I act upon it. I confessed one cold November night in front of my wife and son that I believed Jesus Christ was the Son of God. And I was baptized for the remission of my sins. You're talking about feeling a sense of peace and burdens lifted off my shoulders. And it, that was... You've got the experience to understand it. But I understood it. That I looked at Romans chapter 6 and understood that I had been buried with Christ now. I had buried my old man of sin. I, I now arose from that watery grave a new creation, a new creature. Jesus Christ. But then I also discovered something else. Is that when I did that, when I did it through faith, the way God instructed me, then I became a part of His family. Acts 2 and verse 47. It tells us that the Lord added those that day, those who continue to, to listen and to obey the gospel to the church. But really, you and I can just simply say, He added them to His family. I completed that adoption process. But I had no idea, I, I had no idea what really I had become at that moment in time. I knew I was saved. I had that burden lifted off of me. But I didn't know, didn't even have a clue what else was going to come with that. I believe fully if people truly understood the church exactly what it is that they would be drawn closer and closer and closer to it. Have to be drawn closer to it. You know, <clears throat> we think about, again, this idea of being together. Alright, let's go to our next point. Being a child of God. What does that mean? And what does God expect out of His children? Something I remind the uh, people at Brian all the time is that when we're studying the Bible, we've got to understand, I'm going to put this part on it, that 95% of it is written directly to His children. Not, or about His children. Not about the alien sinners, but to his children. We think about the Gospels. Again, the Gospels are great for leading one to find truth. I love John 20, what is it, verses 30 and 31. That when we study about the life of Jesus Christ, and we see the miracles that he performed, and we understand the connection with those prophecies from the Old Testament, and understand that when he performed those miracles, which only a limited number of them are recorded for us in the gospel. But John says, the ones that you have to study in God's word, he says, that's enough. He said, that's enough to cause us to believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God and to understand that we have eternal life in Him. And so we begin that process, but when we get to, to, to Romans, and 1 Corinthians, and 2 Corinthians, He's writing to the church. 
And if I am to be blamed about having a pet pee that I preach on way too much, it would have to be faithfulness. That's what the New Testament speaks about a whole lot. Faithfulness. But our first idea, what does it mean when I become a child of God? Let's look at this. Belonging. I now belong somewhere. You know, our families, our physical families are important. I love Brother Jimmy's lessons from Sunday night. Boy, what a great lesson for us. A needed lesson. But we need to belong somewhere. We know Genesis 2.18. We already know that verse by, by heart. Because after God created everything and saw that everything was good, He saw that one problem. That it was not good for man to be alone. He saw that that wasn't good. I was thinking about this passage on the way, here, on the way up here tonight. Look at Ecclesiastes 4 for a moment. I love the book Ecclesiastes. Uh, notice beginning at verse 9. He says, Two are better than one because they have a good reward for their, uh, for their labor. For if they fall, the one will lift up his fellow, but woe to him that is alone when he falleth, for he hath not another to help him up. Again, if two lie together, then they have heat, but how can one be warm alone? And if one prevail against him, two shall withstand him, and a threefold cord is not quickly broken. I love that passage. But again, it's the idea that now I've become a child of God, I belong. I'm not out here anymore by myself. Oh, how we need to understand that. How desperately we need to understand that. You know, when I, again, when I obeyed the gospel, it kind of alienated me from my physical family on my side. And, you know, I, they were things I still needed from them at times. But to think about not having a family. You know, there's people out in the world just like that all the time. They don't, they've lost mother or father. They, they, they don't have a brother. They don't have a sister. They, they don't have close cousins. They, they don't have anything. But if that person, for example, could learn the truth and could become a child of God, they can now know that they belong. They're not in this alone anymore. Think about a couple of passages. Oh, Matthew 12, 50. I like this. Christ, again, has been again discussing back and forth with the scribes and Pharisees. and It tells us there at the end of that chapter, it said, For whosoever shall do the will of my Father which is in heaven, the same as my brother and sister and mother. He helps us make that connection then about understanding how we can understand family. That We understand that family relationship. And again, we understand 1 John 1, 4 and 1 John 1, verse 7 and understand that that's, again, that when we become a part of Christ, when we obey the gospel, we, we are now in this fellowship one with another. And we understand that as long as you and I walk by the commandments of Jesus Christ, walking in the light, not only does the blood of Christ still continue to cleanse us from the sin, but we have that fellowship then, one with another. And we're brothers and sisters. Uh, notice 1 Timothy 5, verse 1. 
Paul said, rebuke not an elder. And he's not speaking about an elder of the church, but he's speaking about an older brother in Christ. Have reverence for it, respect. He said, but entreat him as a father, and the younger men as brethren, the elder women as mothers, the younger as sisters with all purity. See, now we are brothers and sisters in Christ. We're Christians. We're God's family. I belong to something very special. Again, 1 Peter 1, verse 22. says, Seeing ye have purified your souls in obeying the truth through the Spirit unto unfeigned love of the brethren, see that ye love one another with a pure heart fervently. We're brethren. It comes there in that passage of Scripture, that word we know as Philadelphia. That brotherly love. We have an older gentleman there at the congregation. And he reminds me very, or probably about every time I bring up this subject, that God says we are to love one another. He say, preacher, I know it says that we are to love one another. He said, but it does not say that we have to like one another. I say, yeah, Brother Charles, I said, you're right. You're right. Sometimes it's very hard for us to like one another, unfortunately. I mean, we, you know those people. We love them in spite of how they act sometimes and who they are, but it reminded me, and I reminded him of a passage in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 1, beginning, where again Paul wrote, He said, I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you that you walk worthy of the vocation wherewith you are called, with all lowliness and meekness, with long suffering, forbearing one another in love. Endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. Maybe Paul wrote that passage of Scripture just for that reason. <laughs> that it's hard for us sometimes to like one another. You know, I think I also read in a book somewhere that if I want to have friends, I've got to show myself to be friendly. But love, I mean, I mean real love. Alright, next point. All right, how much, what time are we stopping? You got about 10 minutes. All right. Uh, and what would I speak about? Oh, next point. Sharing. All right, we talked about belonging. Let's talk about sharing now. Now, I'm just not talking about our, our physical means, which that's part of it. I want to talk to you for a moment or two about sharing our faith. You know, faith is an action verb. And faith is something that we must share with one another. Uh, Acts 2, 44, beginning. Now all that believed were together and had all things common and sold their possessions and goods and parted them to all men as every man had need. And they continuing daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house did eat their meat with gladness and singleness of heart together. Now we understand that, that situation. We understand how those Jews had come from all corners of the world at that time we might say. And now uh, again that was just the beginning of the church and how some of them again hadn't planned to come and to stay. And we, we understand that. But that concept right there still exist, should exist today and, and with, with God's children. That idea of being close 
and sharing our lives. Quickly, the first person I had the opportunity to baptize. Started my first work over in Columbus, Mississippi. And wonderful bunch of people. Wonderful bunch of people. And one of the, the men there, they didn't have elders, but one of the men that helped lead the congregation pointed over to this man. He said, that man's name's Rick. He said, he's been coming here for the last ten years faithfully with his wife. He said, he knows the truth probably more, better than most of the people here. He said, but he's never obeyed it. Never. He couldn't understand why. I like the bass fish. Now, I, I got to be honest with you. If this would have been last night or if this would have been Wednesday night, there may have been a boat behind my truck. I may have spent the night up here and fished on the river this year since the next morning. But anyway, I, I learned that he liked the bass fish. So I started getting to know him. I was sharing my I wanted to share my life with him. And so we started going fishing. And I talked to him. I was like, Ricky, why won't you obey the gospel? Said, you know what to do? Said, ah, I just don't know, preacher. We kept going, getting closer, until finally he opened up one day. He said, I'm ready. And I had the privilege of, 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 of baptizing him in the cross. There's nothing more special than that. But just getting to know him, sharing our lives. Another example. Got to go to Brian. I wanted to be under an eldership and a little bit closer to home. and So there, met an older man. He was a fisherman too. Got to going with him. But just shortly after, not maybe two years, after I started preaching there, he had lung cancer bad. But I would go as many times as I could go during the week and see him and just sit there and to, to watch his last few days. That's hard. Had a Christian, sweet Christian lady there at Brent. It hadn't been that many years ago now. Had to watch her die with cancer. Tell you what, it's tough going to a person's home and sitting there and, and talking with them and to be able to reach over and to just give them a little sip of water from the end of a teaspoon. That's hard. But I'm thankful that God let me share in their lives. You see, that's what God expects out of us, to be there for one another. Quickly, Romans 12. We have to look at Romans 12. We think about God and His family. Romans 12, beginning at verse 10. He said, Be kindly affectionate one to another. With brotherly love and honor, preferring one another. Not slothful in business, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord. Rejoice in hope, patient in tribulation, continuing instant in prayer. Distributing, whew, there's me a word, to the necessity of the saints. In other words, giving, out, giving to hospitality. Bless them which persecute you. Bless and curse not. Rejoice with them that do rejoice and weep with them that weep. Be of the same mind, one towards another. Mind not high things, but condescend to men of low estate. Be not wise in your own conceits. God says, share your life with your brothers and sisters in Christ. 
understand who they are, love them, and they will love you in return. And they will be a blessing to you. But we're there. Think about all those verses. Galatians 6, 2. Oh, those of us who are strong in the faith, we are watching one another. We see a brother or sister who begins to slip away. What do we do? We go to them. We try to, again, to, we, we try to take their burdens upon us and lift them back up because we love them. We think about James 5, 16. Confess your faults one to another. I don't know if we understand that enough. So I think one of my elders gets on to me every once in a while when I speak too much about that verse. Because I think at the heart of it, if I'm having a problem with a sin, a personal sin, and I'm constantly being tempted by Satan, I need to inform someone else. I need to have that brother or sister that I can trust in so they can help me overcome that. Maybe that's again that idea of sharing my faith. But I do it again without having respect of persons. How we must not overlook that lesson in James chapter 2 for us. That we cannot have respect towards one another. Just because our brother may be wealthy and we like to hang around with that person, we can't neglect this, this poor widow over here. We can't do that. We can't, we can't allow that to even begin to, to take over. That will destroy a person's life. That will destroy a congregation at its heart when we do that. But we've got to have that love one for another, that care one for another, because we're in it together. I think about all these, all these relationships now that I have been so blessed to have. People I would never have met before. People who had mean nothing to me before now mean so much. Because they're God's children, just like I am. And they take care of me. And they love me, and I love them in return. And so grateful for them. You know, I've never met many of you before. But I understand, you, you're a Christian. You're my brother and sister in Christ. We've seen amazing things happening, happening through the brotherhood. We hear about a faithful brother or a faithful sister who's well known, something happens to them, and the call goes out for help, and they're helped. Why? Because they're a brother, they're a sister in Christ, and we want to be there for them. That's the way it should be. That's the way it's supposed to be. That's what God expected out of His children. Alright, last point. I know the bell's going to ring. We talked about belonging. We talked about sharing. We have to talk about laboring. Now that's a four-letter word, W-O-R-K, that a lot of Christians hate to hear. I spoke Sunday night, and I'm going to speak at another congregation in a few weeks on are you ready for every good work? You ever tried to list what all God expects us to do when it considers work? The best way I summed it up, and this definition wasn't mine, talking about good works, that everything that you and I could possibly think about in every aspect of our lives is included in that. You know, you go over to the book of Colossians, and I think it's Colossians chapter 3, 
And you begin reading about putting on Christ in baptism. You read about, again, uh, uh, becoming that Christian. And then it begins that list. Talks about husbands, how they are to love their wives. Talks about wives, how they are to be reverent and reverence or love their husbands. Talks about children, how they are to behave their parents. Talks about uh, employers, how they are to take care of their employees. Tells employees how they are to work for their employers. I mean, come on. He covers every aspect. And that one chapter, and that falls under good works, that falls under being a good Christian and doing exactly what God expects out of us. But listen, when we do that, we're laying up treasures in heaven, Matthew chapter 6. By doing all those great works. Now again, I don't want us to fall under this concept that I'm earning my way to heaven. I understand I'm not. I'm not going to reach heaven without first contacting the blood of Christ. But we know Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 by heart. Let's not overlook verse 10. For we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus. For what purpose? Unto good works which He hath before ordained that we should walk in them. So God expects us to work, to labor together. And when we do it together... We're, again, we follow that example in the New Testament. Philippians 4, 14. Notwithstanding, ye have well done, yet ye did communicate with my affliction. Now, ye Philippians know also that in the beginning of the gospel, when I departed from Macedonia, no church communicated with me concerning giving and receiving, but ye only. For even in Thessalonica, ye sent once and again unto my necessity, not because I desire a gift, but I desire fruit that may abound to your account. We're working together, we're laboring, we're laying up treasures in heaven. We're just being the children of God. I hope, I really hope you understand how special it is to be a Christian. Not just because your sins are washed away with the blood of Christ, but now you belong to something really special. If you're in need, let a brother or sister know. Don't be quiet. I know we're, we're very prideful sometimes. And we don't want to ask for help. God says you ask. You ask. Because we're to be here for one for another. I know our time's gone. But don't overlook 1 John 3, 1. Friend, what kind of great, what kind of manner of love God has bestowed upon us that we should be called children of God. Don't overlook that. Thank you for your time tonight.